Ready? Born ready. tuning in to your favorite political podcast where the party at we are back for week two of a discussion about our neighboring state tennessee last week if you listened to the pod you heard from holly from the tennessee lookout she is a reporter and editor in tennessee lots of great conversation so much has happened since then so we wanted to continue talking about tennessee and this time we're bringing in none other then State Representative Bob Freeman. Bob, welcome How to the you? show. Thank you for having me. Are you okay if I call you Bob or do you want the more formal? I, no, I prefer it. I, I find okay. that to be weird. I, it's always people come up like, hey, rep. I just, it, it's, I feel like they don't know my name and they probably don't. So right, right. Uh, I like Bob. All right. Good deal. Well, we'll do that. So Bob, just tell us a little bit, you know, our listeners are folks mostly in Georgia. So give us a little bit of who you are. What's going on in your world? How you became a state rep? Yeah, so uh, again, I'm Bob Freeman. I'm, I serve the uh, 56 House District here uh, in Southern Davidson County, which is Nashville. Um, I, I've I've done it for this is my fifth year. Um, I'd, I'd always been involved uh, in in politics from a uh, you know serving on municipal boards. So I, I served on the Tennessee Homelessness Committee or, or Metro Nashville Homelessness Commission. And I volunteered with a bunch of different groups and um, really just didn't hear and see my voice being represented in the state house. Um, and so I ran. I, I actually ran because I was advocating for some uh, some climate change initiatives here in town and talked to my state rep and my state senator. And when I was talking to him about it, I just kept getting this kind of blank look and stare and um, it was clear they didn't understand what I was talking about. And then it quickly shifted to uh, where do the different lobbying groups stand on the issue? And I just thought, wow, that's kind of sad that you have no ability to make up your own mind and are only going to you know, make a decision based on, again, where a lobbyist uh, opinion is. But um, so I, I ran, uh, turned uh, a, a Republican seat that had been Republican for 30 years. Um, I ran and 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 turned it, flipped it. So it was the only pickup in the state house that year. And um, yeah, so here I am. I serve on uh, the finance committee, the um, uh, which is you know we hear all the budget, all the the um, fiscal uh, notes on every bill. Uh, I serve on health and insurance and commerce and rules and ethics, and so I'm, I'm a pretty active legislator. Uh, and then I'm the vice caucus chair. Um, so What's yeah, your- that's me. What's your favorite part of the job? Uh, I love that I can have a meaningful, meaningful impact on people's lives. Um, and, and I'm still home every night and I get to, you know, fix dinner for my kids, fix breakfast for them, go see their games. Um, I can go to my office if I want to, uh, but it's, I can still have a, a significant impact. I passed a bill last year that gave uh, DACA recipients the right to get professional licensure in the state. Um, before that, they couldn't. They, If you went through school to become a nurse, you could go to school, uh, but you couldn't take the the nursing test to become a nurse. And so 
Um, we passed that last year in a, in a pretty red state. Um, and one of my closest friends, uh, his sister was a dreamer and, you know, she'd gone through school and, and couldn't really, uh, be employed to her highest and best use because she couldn't get professional licenses. She couldn't even, um, she couldn't even act as a waitress because she couldn't deliver drinks. And, um, yeah, so I mean, that's that's my favorite thing is you can have an immediate impact on people's lives. Um, you know, mo most people know who their member of Congress is. They definitely vote for president, but they don't know who their state rep is or even their council person is or alderman. And those positions have such a disproportionate impact on your um, your livelihood, your your satisfaction of your community, how well schools are funding, what the roads and streets look like. Um, we need to have more people paying attention to those, those seats. Y'all, I promise I did not set Bob up to say that last part. But if you listen to the show regularly, you know we talk all about how politics is local. And if you if you don't want to vote for president, that's fine. But at least vote for your local folks because those are the people making the most direct impact on your life. Bob, a lot of our listeners are folks who pay attention to the show are people who maybe sometimes don't understand why they should care about politics and don't always understand the direct impact that it has on their life. So I appreciate you for highlighting that. Yeah. I mean, here in Tennessee, and I, I would assume the same in Georgia, with uh, with enough votes, we could change the the name of our state. <laughs> um I mean, le legitimately, we could move the capital. We could, I mean, you name it, we can do it. Um, and we have a lot of representatives who get elected with, you know, uh, 4,000 votes, 1,500 votes, and they represent 70,000 people. And so the balance of those people, they're allowing someone else to make a decision for them that they then complain about later. Right, exactly. So, Bob, you represent the district uh, where the shooting occurred in Tennessee. Can you just walk us through that day? Like, what was your reaction uh, in the days that followed? You know, it was, um, it, it was absolutely horrible. Uh, the initial reports were there were multiple schools where there was an active shooter. And so... I was receiving phone calls from friends all over the city who had heard the same report thinking it was a coordinated effort. There's going to be more, um, you know, we, we later found out it was, it was just the one school and, and it was just, it was just heartbreaking. I had friends who sent their kids to school there. Uh, one of the little girls, um, went to my church, was in my daughter's Sunday school group. Um, you know, the, the connections were deep. It's a, it's a tight knit community. So everybody knew, you know, multiple people. Um, but to receive phone calls from your friends saying, um, you know, their child has not been at, is not at the unification site. And do they know, you know, do I know, can I help them find out if their, if their child is okay? It's just, it's just heartbreaking. Um, we had a floor session that Monday night that I'm, I missed and I, I don't, I don't miss floor sessions and I, I, I don't miss committees unless it's, unless it's urgent. And, uh, I skipped that night and went to a vigil at my church and, you know, sat in the back and just, just wept because you, you were seeing these kids coming in, um, and hugging each other. And I mean, it was just, it, it's, it's, 
it's something you never want to see. Uh, and as the week progressed, um, I immediately drafted legislation to address uh, a, a, an ERPO, Extreme Risk Protection Order, Red Flag Law, um, and worked with leadership to to try and get their buy-in, uh, Republican leadership. And they'd agreed to let it be heard on the House floor. And I was excited to hear the debate. And then um, um, once um, once the Tennessee Three got on the House floor, um, leadership came back and were like, deal's off. We're not doing this. Um, we're, we're not going to talk about it right now. Um, the community is still struggling. Uh, it's going to take a while. Uh, they, the teachers went, were in school last week for an in-service. The student body is going to finish at a another place off-site because the, the the trauma was so so much they can't they can't get back. And you know, we talk about the the six lives lost, the seven lives lost, including the the, the shooter. Um, but this is something that these kids are going to live with for the rest of their lives. And um, to have that fear of not being safe in a place where you're supposed to learn. Um, you know, my, my, my son asked me, they sent letters to their uh, resource officers. And my son asked me, um, oh my gosh, dad, can you believe we've got three? How many did you have? And I told him we had none when I was in school. That wasn't a thing. And um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of going on. It, it's, it, it was, it's so, it's so difficult to have the hope of so many people to to do something and to know that the supermajority in our state has zero interest in having any real discussion about a meaningful uh, gun control policy. Um, and several of them have told me point blank that if they do it, they won't be back. And my response to them is be brave. If you're, you know, if you know what's right, do it. Um, so anyway, it, it was, uh, we're going to get through it. We're, we're a strong community, but it still, it still stings. I drive by the school every day and see the flowers and the, um, the stuff sitting out to remember the families and the kids that were, were lost. Do you mind sharing some, maybe some of the private conversations you've had with your uh, fellow lawmakers who were on the other side of the aisle about this? I mean, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I won't name names because they, they are private conversations, but um, I mean, I have several of them that have come up to me and said, uh, you know, uh, um, I wish we could do something, but um, it's just not popular or we can't call it a red flag law because they'll vote me out. Or, um, you know, the, the number of people, Republicans that called me, and threaten me that if I try to take their guns away, they're coming after me or um, the number of members that have shared with me that, you know, they have to carry a gun bill this year to make sure that, you know, somebody from the right doesn't run against them and beat them. And the sad thing is that there's enough that know that something needs to be done, but they just don't have the courage to do it, that if they all were courageous enough, we could get something done. We could come up with 51 votes. Um, we could pass meaningful gun reform uh, in our state. And they they all, they're for it. They they are regularly saying that, you know, we need more training, check. We need to ensure that, you know, people, the right people have guns, check. If they're going to continue with this good guy with a gun theory, 
we've got to ensure that the good guys are getting guns and, and, and good women are getting guns. I mean, it, it's, it's almost comical that they continue to do nothing and expect a different result. And I, comical is absolutely, absolutely not the right word. It's sad. I mean, we've tried their approach. Do nothing. Expand access to guns. Make sure more and more people have them. Make sure that it's younger and younger people have them. Make sure you can carry them anywhere you want. And it's, it's not working. It's becoming less safe. Um, and it's going to take an uprising of voters to vote these people out and make this a singular issue. Um, and I, 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 I think I feel like that's coming. I feel like people are fed up in Tennessee. They want change. Um, and we're going to, we're going to leave next week and, you know, maybe some lip service is paid, but no meaningful legislation is going to pass. So the NRA convention was last week, uh, and Donald mm -hmm. Trump spoke, and I'm not going to play the clip. We try actually not to talk too much about Trump <laughs> because appreciate everyone, that. Yeah, everyone talks about him. Uh, but one of the things that he called for at the NRA convention was a nationwide concealed carry reciprocity, meaning that if I, a Georgia resident, am able to have a concealed carry, if I travel to California, I should also be able to carry my weapon concealed in California. And the thought was, you have licenses in your state, and those licenses should carry no matter where you are in the country. I know already, uh, if I'm a Georgia resident, I can do that in Tennessee. So a lot of states have already established reciprocity statutes. I just wanted your reaction to something like that happening um, should a Republican be elected in 2024 as president? I mean, you know, um, Donald Trump's an idiot and pretty much everything that comes out of his mouth is, is, is a ridiculous talking point. Um, um, but, uh, you know, these are issues that states should decide on. I'm not so sure that I would necessarily have an issue with a, with a, with a national reciprocity agreement on, on carry permits, assuming that, that there are, are legitimate background checks and, and legitimate, um, um, testing requirements and, and training requirements. I, I actually think that that I wish more people, uh, who carry guns in Tennessee, at least we're a permitless carry state, um, went through the process to learn how to properly handle a firearm, learn how to properly store a firearm. Uh, I'm not for the removal of, of, of all firearms. I'm for the removal of, of some weapons of war, but, um, you know, We've seen an increase in in thefts of guns since we came up with this permitless carry. People are walking into their into their office. They leave a pistol in their car. Uh, people know they're there, and they break in the car and steal them. It's a it's a crime of opportunity. Um, and if we were to have a you know nationwide uh, reciprocity agreement, I think that would just repeat itself across the rest of the nation. I kind of talked in a circle there. No, I'm no, sorry, no. but I, I don't, I don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, you know, I had, I went and looked it up cause I was, my first reaction was, geez, that sounds terrible. But then I went and looked and half the country, there are already reciprocity uh, statues in place. So it's not mm -hmm. that big of a leap. I think where it becomes perhaps a challenge or an issue is places like DC, New York, California, 
or there are much stricter uh, gun laws in sure. place? You know, in Tennessee, we, we already have places where you can't carry firearms, right? You can't carry a firearm into the, into the Capitol. Same in um, Georgia. And, and you can't carry a firearm on an airplane and you can't. So people are already okay with restrictions. Um, it, it's just getting an understanding of what is, what is reasonable. I continue to hear the slippery slope argument from my Republican colleagues and, you know, you know, it's anything but a slippery slope. It's a, it's an uphill, you know, dredge of like constantly trying to fight to get something passed. Um, so. Yeah. I, I had this conversation with a family member last week um, who's very pro to a, and the notion of the government taking away any weapon that he owns is just adamantly uh, opposed to. Sure. You know, it, it's interesting in, in, in contemporaneous writings from the time of, of the constitution and the amendments being, being drafted, the concept of, of the second amendment was meant to be, um, the U S didn't have enough money to have a standing army. And, um, so we had all these local militias that were called up to fight, to protect the United States. They also didn't have a, a, a local, you know, armory where all the weapons. So they wanted the, the, the soldiers to hold their firearms with themselves. And this idea that we've, we've gone away from a well-regulated militia, um, is, is the biggest lie put upon the, the American populace because it's allowed this proliferation of, of guns and gun violence. These are solvable problems. Other countries have fixed this. Um, you can't tell me that, that, you know, somebody in Georgia or Tennessee is going to defend themselves from uh, the U S military with their, you know, AR 15 and nine millimeter pistol. They're, they're going to, they're going to, you know, uh, deliver a missile. I mean, it's just, it's just comical to think that that's actually what they're preventing is, you know, the hostile takeover of the, the government. Um, anyway. Yeah. So last week on the episode, uh, when we, on the podcast, we talked with Holly McCall from the Tennessee lookout and we recorded it a couple of days before the votes were taken to bring them back to reinstate them. So they have been reinstated. What has happened now? What has been the reaction on the House floor? You know, it's um, the, 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 the majority party in Tennessee, the Republicans, I, I think they recognize how, um, <laughs> how much they messed up. Um, you know, they thought that this would be a couple hundred people show up. And then it was, you know, 7,000. And then they thought this would be a flash in the pan and it's not. And then they gave them, you know, 20 minutes to make their case. And you've got um, three, Gloria Johnson was the third, uh, three very effective communicators allowed to have 20 minutes to give a speech. You should have seen the faces of of those members, they were just, they, they were shell shot. They, they didn't know, they didn't know how to stop what they had created. Uh, they also couldn't effectively make a case as to why they should be expelled. So now that they're back in the chamber, um, they are, they, they don't know what to do. It, it's kind of funny as, as, as Justin Jones and Justin Pearson walk around, they don't make eye contact, their heads are down. It, it's a different feel in the chamber. It's, it's a, it's a more cordial, but it's also a much 
colder environment. And um, because they they know now that there's national media um, looking at every step they do. And, and quite frankly, a lot of the nonsense that they've gotten away with over the past, you know, since I've been there five years, um, is now being called out. I mean, when I first came down, they had pre-meetings before committee meetings where lobbyists would come in and explain their positions on bills and they would effectively count the vote before they went into a committee where we had a public meeting and and the vote would be taken. Um, through pressure from myself and others, that went away. Um, so it's just a, it, it, this has been an eye-opening experience for both the people of Tennessee that largely weren't paying attention um, and um, and quite frankly, the Republicans who who now re- recognize they can't continue this this nonsense. So, audio leaked of the Republicans meeting after the expulsion votes. I want you to listen to a portion of this clip, um, and then just give me your reaction to it. I think now. More than ever, everyone should recognize that Democrats are not our friends. I listened for the last three days to Democrats, Sam McKenzie, Chisholm, Parkinson, trash us as racists. I've never had anybody call me a racist. And for the last three days, all I have heard from them is how this is the most racist place. One of these white supremacists. Good Lord, we have to realize they are not our friends. They can smile, and man, that doesn't mean I can't be polite to them that they are not our friends. Exactly. They destroy the republic and the foundation of who we are or we preserve it. That is the reality of where we are right now. And if yeah. the last three days have not proven that, you need to find a new job. There's never been a more important time for us to be unified. There are 75 of us. Let them call them of the names that are going to call them. We need to move forward. We need to pass the gun bill. We need to pass the pronoun bill, wherever Mark is. Man, we do not slow down because of their crap. We can't. The only way we move forward with some sort of unity is to call out what happened on the House floor the other night. I feel like we were hung out and dry by a couple of members. And Jody, I'm just going to say it here because you signed a letter. You straight up came to me and said you were 100% where I was. And you went on the House floor and you did the opposite. Man, you hung us out and dry. And I like you personally. This is not personal. And if Brian Terry was here, I'd say the same thing to him. This would have been bad anyway, but good God, we were called, we brought the racism into it. Because she didn't stay with us. But I need to know, and I don't want to hear why she, there wasn't a preponderance of evidence and attorneys. I need to know why you flipped your vote at the last minute. You didn't let them know beforehand. Giving Johnny a 15 minute heads up doesn't cut it. And if Brian Terry was here, I want to hear from him too. I have to know. So that that was House Republicans meeting internally, privately, uh, which is why the audio is not that great, uh, because someone was in the meeting recording it, which I'm sure uh, has caused quite a stir internally. Um, And they are admonishing one of the Republicans, Barrett, I believe it was, uh, for voting to not expel Gloria Johnson. And there's a lot of conversation about unity. So when you hear that, what's your reaction? And had you heard that clip before? Yeah, I did. And, and I want to I point out two things. Number one, um, because they knew they were going to have this heated debate, they removed all the staff 
So the only people that were in that meeting were elected officials. So somebody who was elected and serves in the Tennessee State House as a Republican found this to be so distasteful that they recorded it and leaked it to a um, a, a, a website that that calls calls them out. Secondly, um, Jason Zachary, who is the the person speaking, um, you know, has the audacity to say that they need to pass the pronouns bill. The pronouns bill allows for uh, for teachers to disrespect students and not call them by their, those students' preferred pronouns with zero punishment from the city, state, LEA, whatever. Uh, it is, to me, one of the most hateful bills to allow a teacher who wants to bully a child and not respect their decisions and not respect their, uh, their, their, their preferred pronouns uh, is 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 just so gross and it just goes to the heart of of what some of the republicans are doing today they they are um hell-bent on making the state of tennessee look and act the way they do um and um i, I just i don't know it was uh it, i'm i'm glad i'm glad it's out there i'm glad it was recorded i'm glad somebody had the bravery to do it um you know the, the two justins um clearly challenge uh the 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 sense of norm with a lot of those members jason being one of them is is regularly triggered by them and um you you know it, you can't tell me that when they saw the vote going the way it did when jody flipped his vote and ended up voting to keep gloria um and quite frankly if you listen to the rest of the case he continues to say the reason he did it is because um, we were the jury and they didn't make the case. He was trying to get them to make the case. Um, let's not talk about the fact that this is a jury that all signed a letter of how they were going to vote before the jury met. Uh, that, that doesn't sound right, but um, but they didn't make the case. It was sloppy. The whole thing was sloppy. They knew what was happening. We walked up to him afterwards and said, listen, if you kick out Justin Pearson now, Everybody in our state and maybe broader is going to call you guys racist. This is what this is going to look like. Whether you think that's the case or not, um, that is what this is going to look like. And they didn't have the bravery <clears throat> to vote to keep him. They knew what was happening. I mean, they could have changed it. They could have paused. They could have taken a recess. They could have, you know, uh, taken a 15-minute recess, had a caucus meeting. They could have whipped the vote differently. But they just didn't care. This idea that they are so untouchable that they can do something like kick two young black men out of the out of legislature for breaking decorum rules um, shows how far they've gone uh, or how how far gone they are, maybe is a better way to put it, because they just don't care. They don't care who's watching. They don't care what anybody says. Um, and clearly it's getting to them. Um, and, you know, they they. They brought this upon themselves. There's another part of the clip that we're going to play that you probably have also heard. Uh, let's listen to that. I think the problem I'm having is if we don't stick together, if you don't believe we're at war for our republic, yeah. Yeah. with all love and respect to you, you need a different job. The left wants Tennessee so bad. Mm -hmm. 
Because if they get us, the Southeast fall. And it's game over for the Republic. This is not a neighborhood social gathering. We are fighting for the Republic of our country right now. And the world is staring at us. Are we going to stand our ground? I've gotten multiple phone calls from other representatives going, we sure hope you guys stand up. Because maybe you'll give us the courage to stand up and push back against what's going to destroy our republic. You should have told leadership ahead of time if you had a doubt. By God, when you change your mind, you should have been screaming in the speaker's ear going, I'm in no better How does that affect your life? If Brian Terry was standing here, I would be telling Brian Terry, you should have went to the speaker and said, I'm changing my vote. And if it put us at 65, somebody would have taken you behind the dais and explained to you why this is important. But it would have given us the opportunity to not throw the rest of us under the bus. I've been called a racist, a misogynist, a white supremacist more in the last two months of my life than I had my entire life. By golly, I'm biting my tongue. But I'm telling you, Mr. Speaker, with all due respect, days are very thin right now. And I'm going to have to swallow this to see Mr. Jones back up here walking these hollow halls that the greats of Tennessee stood in and watched them disrespect this this state that I chose to move to. And by golly, it's got to stop. I'm sorry for getting angry here. My father was D-Day plus four, and he fought for this freaking country, and many of his friends died. you got to do what's right, even if you think it might be wrong. At the end, he says, you got to do what's right, even if you think it's wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, by golly, uh, let me tell you something. Um, that Scott's a picky from Columbia. Um, and, um, you know, again, this is this is what we're dealing with. And I'm glad that these people have been exposed for who they are. Um, the idea that that you think that it's wrong to expel three members, but you must do it anyway, because, the you know, our republic is at, is at stake. I mean, again, let me let me tell you what 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 the Democrats are fighting for in Tennessee. We're, we're fighting, fighting for uh, real equality uh, um, and real equity in both our education system and, and professionally. Uh, we're fighting for the middle class, for an expansion of, of, of Medicaid across our state so that people can, you know, people who are working can get health care. Um, you know, it, it's it's so laughable to me that somehow that's what they're afraid of. They talk about this boogeyman of, you know, uh, trans kids. They don't know any trans children or that they know of. Why why do they care? Why are they so interested in telling, you know, people what their, their medical decision should be constantly, but yet they talk about freedom? When you said that about when you said that about equity, it just made, made me think about uh, something I saw from Stephen Miller, uh, a, a name that some folks might recognize. He worked for the Trump administration. He has said that equity is racism. It is left-wing bigotry. So if Stephen Miller, who worked for Trump, says that, you've got Republicans in Tennessee who don't like the notion of equity, what do you do? What do you do as a as a democratic lawmaker? Well, well, I, I'm going to answer that, but I want to I want to point one more thing out. This is how tone deaf they are. Um, the day that Justin Pearson was brought back um, onto the House floor, uh, we had people in the in the in the uh, in the gallery listening. We had a guy, John Reagan, from East Tennessee, uh, bring a bill to expand divisive concepts that can't be can't be taught in school. And some of them are 
uh, you know, talking about um, about equity, talking about effectively doing exactly what Stephen Miller just said, saying that you know somehow equity is is racist, or that you know this idea that there isn't systemic racism isn't isn't a thing. Um, they're so afraid uh, to 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 really live in the real world that they they continue to try and hide the truth. That I just don't I don't know. I, you asked the direct question. You know what can a Democrat do? Um, we've got to expand the number of democratically elected or Democrats that are elected in the state house. Um, there are, you know, there are things that we can work on. Um, and then, you know, they're not going to let us pass a gun bill. They're not going to let us talk about, you know, a woman's right to choose her own health care. Um, these are things that, that they have, uh, they have dug their heels in on. And the only way we turn that is, uh, we replace the, the, the members. So what is the Tennessee Democratic Party doing now? Every the whole nation is watching Tennessee. Well, you know, there are multiple uh paths going on at the same time. We've got some people that are continuing to make sure that the light is shined on us to to ensure that that you know what is going on here people know about. Um there are people like myself that are going out to rural parts of the state trying to encourage um, people from those communities to run for office. Um, I, I don't think that Tennessee is as is as red as 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 people think it is. You know, look look to you guys as a great model of how to how to do that. When you've got seats that have never had a Democrat run in it, you have Democrats who are voting in Republican primaries. So they 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 identify on paper as a Republican. What we need to do is make sure that they have a viable alternative. We need to make sure that they understand that this Republican Party in Tennessee um, is not necessarily looking out for their best interests. Um, they are constantly going after uh, these, you know, red meat issues that they're going to run campaign ads on that are not improving the lives of their constituents. Um, we've got communities where their largest export is the young and talented. The kids don't want to go back to the community where they grew up because there's no job. Uh, there's no there's no industry for them there. Um, we've got to get those people to stay in their community, run for office, and um, you know start to start to turn around. The, the third is we need to raise a bunch of money. These races aren't cheap, um, and you know I, I hope that that people that listen to this episode and 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 continue to pay attention that they donate to um, organizations that are solely. Uh, interested in getting Democrats elected in Tennessee. Um, you know, we, we've, um, we have largely been doing this on our own. We have, you know, we get outspent 10 to one in some of these rural races uh, and we still are close. Um, we've got to get more money into democratic politics in Tennessee. So what is your pitch for someone who's maybe center right um, upset by what happened, but maybe is reluctant to vote for a dumb. I mean, my, my pitch is, uh, what has the Republican party done to improve your life? Um, because all they're doing is making other people's lives worse. Um, in, 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 in many cases, um, and they just need to have the bravery to, to take that next step. This idea that, 
you know, Republicans are fiscally conservative and Democrats aren't is just it's laughable. Uh, they expand our budget every year. We um, in Tennessee, in the midst of COVID, we put billions of dollars into a rainy day fund and cut off unemployment benefits. It was pouring. <laughs> People were unemployed. They didn't they couldn't go back to work because of state policy. And instead of expanding um, unemployment benefits, they cut them. They ended up cutting the time that you could be on it. Um, th there just needs to be uh, there needs to be a, 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 a you know a come to Jesus moment with some of these people. And I'm going to be totally honest. I think there is uh, there is a percentage that is truly racist, and they're never going to vote for a Democratic Party because they don't believe in real equity. That's not who we need to be talking to. We need to be talking to those, and you said it, those center right Republicans that are sick and tired of, you know, a party that says they're pro fee, uh, pro freedom is telling people what pronouns they can and can't use. That you know is pro freedom is telling a woman what healthcare decisions she can and can't make for herself. Um, that is constantly stepping in and preempting local control. Um, that's that's the pitch. And um, you know, if you look at Nashville, all run by Democrats. Um, we are the heartbeat of the region. We provide about 50% of the tax revenue for the state. You can't tell me democratic policies don't work. All right. Um, I think that's a great way to end it. Bob, great having you on the show. You are our first elected official, by the way, who is not from Georgia on the show. So congratulations. All right. <laughs> I feel honored. Thank you.